clearly becoming a sports mecca. And you're going to start seeing with the NFL moving here, hockey having one of probably the most successful franchises operating right now here, and uh, and you know baseball and basketball are right around the corner. So this is going to become a four a four sports town very quickly. You know, that um, brings me to a question. Are people there reacting to the Raiders as if it's their team already? I mean, it's going to be soon, and the Raiders, you know, with hard knocks and everything, they're the talk of the NFL, at least drama-wise. You know, are the fans there embracing it already? Totally. They, they believe it's them, their team. You can see the stadium now. The, really? the whole skeleton of the, the uh, $2 billion stadium is, uh, is, up, is up, and the team is – everyone in town is embracing it. You see uh, – Silver and black, everyone's wearing it. Um, they're definitely this is the team. They're, they're that, that's who they're rooting for, and the town is just ecstatic for it. And it's a huge sports town, and they it was it was about it's a smaller city compared to some of the other cities, but it has this passion for sports. And they are now selling out the minor league team, moved to a AAA team, moved to a new stadium. They're getting more fans that we talked about before than the Marlins. Uh, and then the waiting list for season tickets for the Knights is through the roof, and they have sold out the entire stadium. I mean. Any any thought that this stadium was going to be having difficulty? I mean, things that like Jacksonville ran into some of these other NFL teams. There's none of that problems. They've sold out every single club seat. There's now a waiting list on the club seats here. So it's, it was an idea about personal seat licenses. All those problems that some of these other stadiums and other towns uh, didn't. Las Vegas did not have. I mean, these they they are finding enough sponsors. Uh, people getting people who want to. There's people who are buying tickets for Vegas who don't even live in Vegas. Who just go. Many people, as you know, go to Vegas maybe four or five times a year. So they're mm-hmm. just buying tickets themselves to go when it, they'll go when there's football games. Or they could be like you and go to Vegas 15, 20 times a year. <laughs> um, so Ira, this, you know, we've been doing this show almost two years now. This is the quietest sports attendance week you've ever had. Well, I don't know if it's the quietest, but we do have the U.S. Open coming up in terms of, I went to five baseball games last week, and we do have the U.S. Open coming up and college football. So I'm looking to go to the Miami-Florida game on uh, Saturday. I'm going to be excited to go up to Orlando for that game and then uh, then follow that with the following week with you know going to the uh, U.S. Open. Penn State game is coming up in the middle of that. So I have a big sports dilemma. I, I've been the biggest sports dilemma I might have ever had <laughs> is that Sunday in three weeks, is the U.S. Open men's final. And if it's, say, Federer versus Nadal, Federer versus Djokovic, but the Steelers open against the Patriots. So, yeah. like, what would I do? And I'm, like, thinking in my mind, do I, I mean, I cannot miss the Steelers-Patriots opening game. But on the other hand, I can't miss Federer versus Djokovic or Federer versus Nadal. So it's going to be, I mean, we'll have to see who makes the finals, and it's probably going to be Dominic Thiem versus <laughs> David Goffin or something, and then I want it to be an easy choice for me. But the point is that if I think if Federer is in the finals, I'll go to the U.S. Open over the Steeler game because I feel like that would be the final big match for Federer. Um, short of that, I probably am going to see Steelers-Patriots. You know, Ira, we've got no guests um, tonight on Ira on Sports, but we got plenty to talk about anyways. But next week, this might be the, the biggest week of guests we've ever had. You want to give us a little preview? Yeah, well, we're going to have Warren Bakke, and Warren is the person who's been training everybody who knows about South Florida golf. Warren has trained Brooks Kepka. He's trained many other juniors, and he has been the Florida. Uh, he's in the Florida Golf Hall of Fame already, and he's also been the Florida Golf Teacher of the Year year after year after year. Um, you know, mostly known for his work with Brooks Kepka, who he probably did a phenomenal job. You know, as you can see with him, and so he's going to come in studio. He he lives nearby, so we're going to have him in studio for probably the first half hour, and then we're going to have Tim Frank who we had on last summer, but who is going to be calling in from Australia. And he is going to talk, and he's the senior vice president of communications for the NBA. He's really like the third in command of the mm-hmm. NBA. Um, and he's going to talk about uh, the end of this past NBA season the, and the you know, rules changes. I mean, a lot of, we had him on last year, and he said, watch what we do. The one rule that he was interested about looking at is instead of resetting the clock, shot clock, on an offensive rebound to 24 seconds, it's going to go to 14. So that 10 seconds he felt like was going to make a big difference in terms of, of speeding up the game, taking timeouts out of the game, 
a lot of those things, and it, it did play in it. You could see that teams were getting offensive rebounds and then going back up. The games were faster, quicker, and also taking timeouts out at the end of the game. I think the NBA this year, I mean, baseball's been struggling for years. I mean, they're doing everything to speed the game up, and it keeps, keeps getting longer, whereas basketball actually was able to shave, I think, about five or six minutes off the, off the overall time period for an NBA game last year. So it'll be really interesting to talk about that, and also, as we talked last year, about uh, what they're going to do with one and done, and how close are we to having uh, Zion Williamson's come directly to the NBA and not go to college. So it'll be great to have Tim on the show. Uh, he's been a longtime friend, and also have Warren. I think it'll be a really uh, monster show. Okay, or Ira, ton to talk about, so let's get into it. Um, Dodgers are your team. You've been to a ton of Dodgers games this year. Not, you know, your team overall, but you, you're on the bandwagon with them this year. You think that they're, you know, a, a lock for at least the World Series appearance. You think they're going to win it all. Lost their last two. Nothing to worry about, but tell us what's going on with uh, your L.A. Dodgers. I still think Astros win it all. I think the Dodgers are locked for the World Series, but I think that the uh, Astros will win it all. You but, with the addition of Grinky, um, yeah. But this, this, uh, they played the Braves, and this was a big weekend for the Braves. I mean, this was, I mean, the Dodgers now are becoming, when they, because the Braves are leading their division, Dodgers are winning their division, and the Braves took two out of three from the Dodgers, surprisingly. I mean, the first game, uh, they beat the Braves, the Dodgers won 8-3, Bellinger, Muncy, Turner, Will Smith each hit a home run, and for the Dodgers, they had 22 home runs and five games, which is a major league record. I mean, there's been, last, well, last week, there were more home runs hit in baseball than any week ever in the history of baseball. And so the Dodgers had 20, you know, they, they contributed that amount with 22 home runs in five games. Uh, the Braves jumped to a 3-1 lead on Maeda, uh, but the Braves bullpen blew it. And uh, now Muncy, one last thing about Muncy, Max Muncy, the second baseman, he's the first Dodger player with consecutive 30 uh, home run seasons since Sean Green in 2001-2002. But, so, you know, the Dodgers looked like they were going to roll in the series because they had Rue, the Cy Young winner, going to be winner, uh, going in the next game. But uh, the Braves were able to get home runs off of him. I mean, it was you know, his ERA rose. He actually uh, gave up two home runs to Josh Donaldson and Adam Duvall. They lost the second game 4-3, uh, which was the largest attendance, 43,000, in the history of SunTrust Field. That's a new stadium the Braves moved into a couple years ago. And then the Braves ended up winning uh, 5-3 on Sunday. Uh, and it was it, what happened on Sunday was really interesting, what the Braves did. Um, Ronald Acuna Jr., who is the superstar of all superstars for the Braves, he's hit 296, 35 home runs, 85 RBIs, 21-year-old phenom, his 29 stolen bases, 104 runs scored. I mean, he's just great. Well, he hit a long fly ball, and he thought it was going to be a home run, so he just watched it, and it ended up hitting the wall and being not a home run, and he ended up only getting a single when he should have had a double, and the manager uh, uh, pulled him for the uh, for the next, he pulled him out of the game uh, as punishment. And uh, Acuna said, uh, Brian Chinnaker said, and uh, Acuna said that was the decision manager took. I respect his decision, and uh, it was unintentional. But um, I should it should have never happened. It won't happen again. And I liked his response. I think Acuna's response was great. But we see a lot of these like Machado has been allowed to just loaf around when he hits the ball. Um, Robbie Cano, everybody knows about baseball, knows that he ever he never runs to first base. And it was nice to see. Today, in today's day and age, to have that happen and have actually the superstar of superstars. And, and, you know, and, and they could have said, well, Acuna is going to be mad. He's not going to like the fact that this happened. It might not re-sign with the Braves in a few years or cause a rift. But he took it. He, he was very professional about it and said, so I think that was great. And they were and at that time. Atlanta was trailing 3-1 in the game, and they came back and won the game uh, 5-3. So that was, I think, it motivated everyone else. And Dustin May came in for the Dodgers. And that's the starter that I saw, the one with the crazy hair. And uh, he gave up a grand slam to Rafael Ortega. Um, and the Dodgers are still going to use him in relief. I mean, that, you see a lot of what the Dodgers are doing. They're trying, different, they're trying to use their pitchers in relief, their starters in relief. I mean, they, the Dodgers definitely have this postseason mode right now going on. But that was, it was a great uh, series for the Braves. I mean, they took two out of three. It wasn't, you know, I mean, the scheme of things doesn't mean everything. But uh, it showed the Braves are, 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 are to force to be reckoned with and in the National League Championship Series could possibly be in there against the Dodgers. You know, it's funny you bring up uh, Ronald Acuna Jr. This guy, you know, I follow the minor leagues intently and watching him, I knew there was something special here. I, he's on pace. He's got the chance 
to join the 4040 Club. That hasn't happened since Soriano, uh, Alfonso Soriano in 2006. This guy seems dialed in. He's going to be the next guy like Mike Trout. We're just looking at year in and year out like this guy is phenomenal. And I think that's what when they when they pulled him out of the game for not for a lack of hustle. And he's not known as, as someone who causes trouble no. doesn't hustle. He doesn't have that reputation at all. But I think that was great that they addressed it early. And the fact that they did it and pulled him out of a game like that, um, you like to see that. And the fact that he took it so professionally. He didn't say, he didn't pout, you know, start fighting with the manager and, and all these other things. He said, look, I was wrong. I was totally wrong. I embarrassed. And I, I just like his response, the man, what the manager did. And I think it sets a good tone for what the Braves are trying to do. And that's well, probably one reason why they're uh, leading their division. No, a- absolutely. You're listening to Iron Sports. This is the True Oldies channel. It's 714. I'm Mike Balsamo. Um, you know, we talked about the most home runs in a week um, ever in baseball history. Large part of that due to the Dodgers. Another massive part due to the Yankees between the um, drubbing they put on uh, versus Baltimore, then the series that they just had with Cleveland. Before we talk about that, Ira, did you know that Mike Trout yesterday tied Derek Jeter in career war. That was his his uh, hero growing up. It took Jeter 20 seasons, took Mike Trout just nine to get to the same war. Crazy. Well, I, as he's tremendous defensively, uh, offensively, and it's someone who, I mean, he, J, Mike Trout's going to, can you imagine this? He signed the $420 million contract and he is going to win the MVP this year. That's what's so amazing. I mean, he is the type of player that you like to say, contracts don't matter, the money doesn't matter. He just is really good, loves to play, and that's what you like to see in, a, in all sports, just not just baseball, any sport. You want to see someone who comes out there and who's, who is talented, but also tries very hard, works, improves on every weakness he has, and stays at the top of his game, and he's going to go down as one of the greatest baseball players of all time. And he may be, when it's all said and done, the best. <laughs> you know, when we look back on but okay, let's talk about this this Yankees and Indians series because the Indians were a team that was that was you know surging and they're you know they're making a move on Minnesota um, there in the Central. The Yankees have just been smashing the ball. Ira, this was an extremely exciting series, both with the action and the you know the dramatics on the side. Well, the Yankees had won nine straight home games. Cleveland came in there and won the first game nineteen five. That's 19. I mean, <laughs> Indians had seven home runs. Two players, Jose Ramirez and Carlos Santana, both had two home runs. Um, and the Yankees, their starting pitching is a complete disaster, and they're just trying to get through this. I, don't, I mean, it's just so they started with Chad Green, who was, they call it an opener, which he was going to, Chad Green was going to supposed to pitch an inning or two. He, he gave up seven runs in the first inning, and by the end of the game, Yankees, the Yankees, you can, you can see what they're doing. They, if they're getting blown out of game, they just put in position players to pitch. They don't want to waste <laughs> any of their pitchers, and it just gets worse and worse and worse. And they did the same thing with the Red Sox when they got blown out. They, they don't care if they lose a game uh, 19 to 5. It doesn't matter because then they came back. Um, oh, in this game, the interesting thing happened was it, they was, they was every player for the Indians had two hits, and the last time that happened was in 2011. The Dodgers did that, and the only other time it happened was 1906. So it's only happened three times that every single position player had two hits in a game. Just amazing. Ira, you know what's funny? You mentioned Jose Ramirez, who last year. Um, one of the most scorching first halves or first hundred games in history. And then just completely fell off the planet for that last 62. Opened up this season awful through through the first half of the season. In the past month, he's putting up those same numbers that he was putting up the first half of last year, hitting a home run like every eight at-bats. It's crazy how these guys can go through cycles like that. Well, and I, I think the Yankees are waiting for Aaron Judge to get on his cycle. I mean, he's yeah. been in a slump. And on, the, and on Friday... He went two for three. The Yankees won three two. They finally could not. Tanaka had a okay game, six innings, two runs. I think they consider that like the greatest they could imagine. <laughs> um, and um, but the Yankees that was their eighty third win, and so that's twenty seven straight years of a winning record. That's amazing. But they, the only the Yankees could have the all time record of between twenty six and sixty four. 36 years of winning records. I mean, you look at teams like the Pirates that would just do anything for a winning record, and they do it 27 straight years, and then they, and they're still nine years short of their all-time record. And then the Yankees came back on, on Saturday, and they won 6-5. Glaber Torres is, of course, phenomenal. Had two more home runs, uh, 27th for the year. And then this is the game that was, the again, the Yankees are just, again, they're getting, uh, Aaron Boone seems to be getting thrown out of every other game. 
Uh, Brett Gardner seems to be getting thrown out of every other game. They were protesting a ball strike call against Cameron Maven. It, the ball looked out, I mean, it was out from the computers and what they saw on TV. It was a ball, but they called it a strike, strikeout. Everyone got all upset, yelled and screamed, and everyone gets ejected, and there was all this fighting. But it's now the third time this has happened to the Yankees, and it's all been when they've had AAA umpires brought up to the major leagues. And it begs the question is that how soon are we going to get, like the Atlantic League has, where they have automatic with a computer, the computer umpire per se, of having them call, having the computer uh, call balls and strikes. I mean, we've seen it in tennis for almost 15, 20 yeah. years of, of someone calling it. And you wonder how it could, this could be something that happened in the next uh, two years because teams are really upset about it. And now it was one thing when they had it and it's like, oh, it looks like a ball, but they called it a strike. But when everyone on TV, he looks at it, and they have then they say, "Oh, this is what it was." Then everyone's mad about it, and that causes all the fighting about it. But it seems like the Yankees are every time. I mean, you can have like one bad ball strike call. They, they're getting players thrown out, causing benches to, uh, you know, everyone's jumping in down. Get it's a mess. So, but I, it's it's now the third time this has happened to the Yankees this year. You know, Ira, it's funny. You know, talking about the automated balls and strikes for a second. I'm a baseball purist. We talked about it on this show. I don't like the technology encroaching on the game. But the fact that every single umpire strike zone is different and that there's scouting reports set up for umpires. They talk about this before the game. Oh, this guy doesn't call high strikes or this guy is going to give the pitcher the outside. That I don't like. So like, I'm, I'm almost in favor of this and it's going to help keep <laughs> some players from, from getting ejected. Quick story about Saturday. So that was the... Um, uh, Yankees had a one o'clock game and they were on TV. I'm like, oh, great. I go watch this. James Paxton, who's been so up and down for the Yankees, opens up, walk, double, single, walk. And I'm just like, well, this game's over. But like you said, they managed to come back and win. So that just shows the grit of this team. They didn't get the same result on Sunday, though. So they ended up splitting the series. Yeah, the Sabathia only lasted three innings, gave up four runs. Um, <laughs> the Yankee, Luis Severino is. Uh, Close to coming back. Now, whether they're going to make him a starter, and he was their best pitcher last yeah, he's year. He's in AAA right now. Ones in the, right. And then Dallin Batances, who's their top, one of their top relievers, could also be back. So that could be sub some help. But they didn't make any trades on the dead, deadline. But they're a team that's going to be like, look, if we have to win a game 12 8, we'll do it. They, 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 don't, they don't just keep us at the game. Now, the advantage they have is that Chapman is pitching very well as a closer. And we talked about last week the Dodgers having this ninth inning. They always can come back to the ninth inning. Well, Chapman looks like he's dominating as ever, and he's at 35 out of 40 saves in terms of, of he's, he's on a roll right now in terms of, of just lights out. And whether that's if they met each other, the Yanks met the Dodgers in the World Series, would that, would that hurt the Dodgers because the Dodgers count on that ninth inning magic, and they're not going against these great closers like Chapman. Um, Ira, okay, real quick, let's talk about um, your Astros. I mean, this team is absolutely a force to be reckoned with. They're what the Yankees have to deal with in the AL. You think they're going to win it all, so what happened to them? The A's took three out of four. So Oakland played well. I mean, this is one of those things where the Braves played well, I, the Indians played well. I mean, it's interesting, these teams, I mean, these, it's, that's what shows how difficult it is to stay on top and win when you see these win totals of 110. But it was a fun week because you had these great teams playing each other. Um, I think the good takeaway for the Astros is when they won on Sunday and Zach Ranke pitched, uh, gave up one run in seven innings. He's now 3-0 with a 2-3-70 or a, the player they traded from Arizona. And if Granke and Verlander pitched well but gave up two home runs, in uh, Friday's game, they played four games, but uh, but he gave two runs, but they lost in 13 innings. And then the other thing was in the first game, it was seven six. With the game was only seven six, but there were ten combined home runs, which again <laughs> adds to the home run total. So, but Colden pitched in the series. It was it was interesting. I mean, Oakland is hanging in there, and Oakland's trying to make that. They're one of the three teams to get to that last playoff spot. So, but um, I it was, again. These teams, that's what shows that what about playoffs is that baseball is that it looks like even if the Astros are the, by far on paper the best team, uh, the A's can take three out of four. And if they were playing this, if this was the divisional series and it was best three out of five, then the A's would have won. You're listening to Iron Sports. This is the True Oldies channel. It's 722. I'm Mike Balsamo. So, Iron, we've talked about it. You won't do fantasy baseball, even though I'll convince you to do it next year. But fantasy baseball this year has been the least interesting of my entire life. Because every player in the league has 20 home runs, Ira. There's, a, you know, two dozen second basemen that have 20 home runs. I think that the home run issue is just plaguing this league, you know, from the purest standpoint. And it's just going crazy. Yeah, I mean, it's... Uh... 
36, 36% of all plate appearances have resulted in a strikeout home or a walk or hit by pitch. So that means the ball isn't like in play. And uh, they're, they're going, last year they set the record for home runs, and this year is seven. They're on a pace of, of 6,800. They're, they're, they're on a pace for 6,800. They had 6,100 was the record. And now there's going to be 700 more home runs this year than last year. And that's just changed. And you can hear like people like Pete Rose and Goose Gossage, and everyone's complaining that the game has just become strikeout. Either you strike out or you hit home runs. Nobody wants to hit and run, sacrifice. The, you don't see it when you're talking about Acuna with stolen bases. Don't don't waste it out getting a stolen base. Just try to hit home runs, and everybody from all levels is just trying to hit home runs and not play fundamental baseball, and that's bothering a lot of the baseball purists. So baseball is definitely in that mix right now, where the purists are saying, "I don't like came and watch the game," whereas other people say, "Well, the home runs are great. That's what people are coming to the games for, so that's what they want to watch." You know, I I never thought you know in my life, especially going you know going through the era before Bonds, McGuire, and Sosa that. Someone could have a 260 batting average and consider that a good season because they hit 35 home runs or 40 home runs. It, that's why it's like so rare when you see the DJ LeMahews and these guys that are hitting 330 still. It's just something you don't see at all in baseball. And to me, it's just not it. I, I agree. I think you want, uh, when I was at the Dodgers game, you saw the Dodgers do a, a suicide squeeze at home plate. Um, you saw the Arizona do the same thing. There was a lot of sacrificing. Uh, some of the National League teams, it seems, can we basically use the pitchers, and so they're doing sacrificing. They're used to American League teams with a DH. is just home run, home run, home run, and that's the difference in the league. And it'll be interesting when it comes into the World Series whether uh, the National League, but, like, the Yankees don't care. I mean, it's to them, uh, so what? If they have to score 10, however, tell them how many runs they have to score, and they'll try to hit as many home runs to, to get that amount and then get that number. Ira, get us caught up with the, uh, the playoff race here with just about uh, 40 or so games to go per team. Well, Yanks are up nine and a half over, over Tampa. Minnesota, because the Indians had that tough series against the Yankees, are up two and a half over, over at the Cleveland, and Houston's up seven and a half games still over the A's, even though the A's took three out of four. But the Indians, Rays, and A's are all in a virtual tie uh, for the, for the uh, wild card. So that's going to be a great race between those three teams, or Minnesota, when I say Minnesota or, or Cleveland, and Tampa and Oakland for, that, for those two spots. It's really, it's going to be there's three teams for two spots, or maybe really four teams, because Minnesota and Cleveland are the same division. I mean, the Red Sox, they've won five in a row. Anybody who plays the Orioles, the Orioles and the Pirates are the teams that are like the Washington Generals now at baseball. They just lose and lose and lose. <laughs> but they're, down, they're six and a half back. Uh, but Sale just went on, Chris Sale went on the DL or IL. Uh, Price is on the ILL. I. <laughs> Again, I think the Red Sox are just too talented. Could they sneak in? Could they go on one of these runs where they win 18 out of 20 games? Yeah. Uh, but they're hurt because the Indians and Rays and A's are all good. And they might, they, I don't see two of those teams having bad losing streaks. But they're, they're still only six and a half games out. In the National League, Atlanta's five and a half over Washington and nine over the Phillies and Mets. And the Cards and Cubs are tied, uh, tied and they're two and a half over the Brewers. And Dodgers are a million games ahead of San Francisco <laughs> and Arizona. But we're, we're back to the same thing. I mean, this is why this is one of the greatest, greatest wild card races because you're waiting for one of these teams to really just fall back or take it. But Washington, the Cubs or Cardinals, the Brewers and the Phillies and the Mets are all like within two games of each other. The Giants are only three and a half back. So you have all these teams battling for those two playoff spots. And that's why I mean baseball's got to get credit for that because if this was a, a year where it was just division winners get in or just one wild card, it would not be as exciting. Clearly putting the two wild cards has made this race uh, very, very exciting. Ira, um, speaking on the Chris Sale note, there actually is some somewhat breaking news that he's expected to avoid Tommy John surgery. So good news uh, if you're a Boston Red Sox fan or Chris Sale. Ira, what are you uh, keeping your eye on in baseball this week? Well, Yankees are playing the A's at the beginning part of the week, and then probably the biggest series. And a lot of my friends are calling and help trying to ask me to help them get tickets. And I, it is the it is uh, how would I say this playoff level NFL uh, tickets. The Yankees at the Dodgers. And that you're talking tickets to get in two, three hundred dollars to get in the stadium. It's, uh, it, it, of course, every game is a complete sellout. And the good seats are going, the Yankee fans are pouring in, the Dodger fans are going. There's a three game series. Paxton's going against Rue on Friday. Sabathia on Saturday, they haven't decided who he's going to go against for the Dodgers and Kershaw and Skirmon on Sunday. 
Uh, all games will be you know, on national television. It's going to be that's good. This is the series that everyone is talking about. They've been talking about this in L.A. since the schedule came out last year. <laughs> the Yankees haven't come to L.A. in years. So remember, that only happens every four or five years where they would come. They would potentially come. So this is this is huge. The Dodgers are are of course the biggest draw in baseball. And now break put on top of that, the Yankees plus all the Yankee fans that are flying out to L.A. for the series uh, just adds to the price. And it is the toughest ticket in baseball. By far, probably in the last, I can't think of when a t- ticket would suffer in any series. This is definitely for a three-game series, the ticket in baseball, as far as I have ever seen. It's seven twenty-eight. Ira on Sports, True Oldies Channel. I'm Mike Balsamo. Let's uh, move on to golf. And, and Ira, you know, there was a time where Justin Thomas was playing the best golf in the world. And then he seemed to have a fall from grace, Jordan Spieth-esque, where all of a sudden I didn't know what I was getting from him week to week. Happy to see him get back in the winner's circle at Medina. Well, he was, he was second at the Genesis. And it was then since the Honda, he's played in 10 tournaments and he didn't even make break the top 10. He was 30th in the Honda, 35th in the Players, 12th in the Masters, playing the PGA, and he missed the cut of the Memorial in the U.S. Open. But uh, that 61 he shot on Saturday... <laughs> With to get a six shot, they talk about Saturday being moving days. Well, we went out to a, a, a six shot lead over Matsiana uh, and Canelay. Well, he it, that was just tremendous. I mean, he was birdie, birdie, birdie. Every seems like every hole uh, played perfect golf uh, and hung out. Now, it's only happened a few times when a player uh, had only seven players since 1928 had a, ever lost a six-shot lead. And uh, he almost got cut back down to two, but he ended up beating Candelay, who won the Memorial and the PGA. Of course, both players are from Palm Beach County, uh, who uh, 25 under and 22 under. And people are saying, well, there's a problem with the course. Medina is a very famous course. It's hosted U.S. Opens and, and, and PGA Championships. There was just no wind and at all that entire weekend. It was perfect conditions to play. When you have perfect conditions, uh, these are the best golfers, of course, in the world and can dominate the course. Out of the 69 players, only two were over par. Everybody else was under par. So if you're looking for a, a British Open type of uh, scoring, you weren't going to get that. Uh, Ricky Fowler finished 13 under as for 11th. Rory 11 under at 19th. Brooks Kepka uh, finished at 10 under for 24th place. And Tiger needed to get to uh, be in the top 11 to make the qualifier for the next week. He didn't do it. He was 7 under in 37th place. Uh, so it was, uh, it was and Dustin Johnson had a bad tournament. He was finished uh, uh, three under for a uh, 57th place. Uh, it, to think who missed this tour. So the idea was that they cut it down to 30 for the Atlanta. This is the one that uh, Tiger won last year. So for the and it was weird because he won the tour championships, but he didn't win uh, the FedEx because it was different. It was the FedEx title. The points were. It was almost like watching a NASCAR race where they have all these different point totals. But they've changed it this year. Um, well, Tiger didn't make it. Tiger didn't make it because uh, uh, he didn't. He didn't make it. Phil Mickelson's out. He's out. Uh, Jason Day's out. And Shane Lowry, the winner of the British Open's out. So you have a lot of these stars who didn't qualify based on FedEx points uh, for the Tour Championships. Uh, that'll be in next week at Eastlake. Do you want to fill us in on how this is going to go down at Eastlake? And uh, Eastlake's just a course I absolutely love to watch on TV. It looks beautiful. I'd love to get there, um, you know, in real life. Well, that was uh, – um, well, that was – Eastlake was where Tiger won it. That was what was – everyone was phenomenal. His first uh, victory in years in terms of back and shows how he recovered from his back surgery. And then, of course, he followed it up with winning the Masters this year. But they, they didn't like the fact that Tiger, this has been a problem not just with Tiger's year, but someone who win the tournament but not win the overall, quote, FedEx Cup, which is FedEx points throughout the year. They add to then the first, uh, they have the, the playoffs, the first three, two tournaments, the one, the Liberty uh, National, and then uh, in the playoffs, quote, and then this is the Super Bowl of the golf, which really, of course, is trying to create it, but it is exciting. They're getting good ratings, and they pay out. The winner gets $15 million. The loser of the Tour Championships, the loser, the person gets $400,000 for finishing in last place. So that's a great, a great uh, consolation prize. But what they've done is they've reset the scores. So Justin, so whoever wins this tournament will win the $15 million. But it's not going to be, they could have, you could win the tournament, but you wouldn't have the lowest score, because it they're, they're already starting out with advantages. Justin Thomas is starting the tournament at minus 10. Canelay is minus 8. Kefka is minus 7. Patrick Reed's minus 6. Rory's minus 5. Uh, Gary Woodland's minus 3, just for just some number. Ricky Fowler's minus 2. So Ricky Fowler could shoot seven strokes 
than uh, or uh, Justin Thomas could shoot uh, seven strokes first than uh, than Ricky Fowler, but still win the tournament because he's starting with an eight stroke advantage. It's almost like a handicap, but in reverse. So it's very. I mean, <laughs> this is the first year they've tried it, and I think it's going to be interesting. I think they just didn't like the fact that someone was winning. Like last year, Tiger was winning it, but he wasn't winning the FedEx, and was it really a win? I, I like this. I think this is a hard thing to do. I mean, you wouldn't, wouldn't do this with any of the majors, but trying to when you have a whole series standing thing, I, I do think this. I like to see how this plays out, but I, I I think there should be one winner, and the winner gets it, and there should be like two winners because that last year they had Tiger got the one trophy, and Justin Rose got the other trophy. I think. I think it's great that Joe's just one winner of the Cup. Ira, let's talk, you know, we know that I'm a huge golfer, and I love seeing other athletes cross over into golf, whether it be good or bad, like Charles Barkley. But we had a good story thanks to Steph Curry this week. I love this story. I think this is great. I mean, correct uh, player uh, Otis Thompson's name, Howard, you not have a golf team. Um, and in 40 years, they think. They don't even know when the last time they had it. <laughs> so Curry donated enough money to start the golf team at Howard University. And I love this because it's, it's not like well, he's not contributing to basketball. He just feels like that's important. It's a, a historically all African-American school. And uh, I think it's great that he contributed enough money that's going to have fund the golf team for a decade. And uh, as everyone knows, Curry plays pro-am golf. But I just think it was it's a great statement, and, and, and it's one thing to contribute money to a university. I mean, he didn't go to, to Howard, uh, but to just to contribute money to start the golf team, to continue it, I, it was a great move from Steph Curry. Shows what, I mean, Steph Curry is a tremendous person. He's just an amazing basketball player, and it's just an example. And it's, like, different, but I thought it was good because it's a great way to advance golf. Yeah, when I first saw this story, my, my face lit up. I was, it was a big smile, like, you know, that, that's a really nice, feel-good story. And who else but Steph Curry, who just seems to be, like, you know, the nicest guy in the world. I wrote, you know, we, we like to talk about rule changes and things that are being implemented that can make the, you know, games that we follow better or worse. European Tour has some new rules coming out. What do you think about that? Well, that's why when Warren comes out, Warren Bakke, from the trainer or the coach of Brooks Kapka comes on next week, I really want to talk to him about it because Brooks, we talked about this, we've been talking about this. The stars of golf now, the Tigers, the Justin Tom Capcom, they don't want to play slow golf. Like, they're, they just spend 20 minutes at a shot. They, they don't have to analyze every possible thing. And then you have other players like Bryson DeChambeau who are playing slower than ever. And that's becoming a huge problem. And the European Tour is doing something. They changed their rules. And the PJ is analyzing what to do. And I really think you see some heavy rules, I think, mainly because it's being led by the top golfers who are saying, look, I'm tired of the slow play. And the PJ itself and the television partners are like, yes, we want golf to finish at a window. We understand there could be weather delays. We understand certain things. The interesting thing that the PGA Tour, the European Tour is doing is that they're going to have a way to analyze Team, should players be on the clock? What, be, oh, they got put on the clock because they're too slow here. It's going to be this computer that's going to be able to say put different players on the clock because they're playing too slow. Whether that works or not works, I'm not sure. But the idea that, that I think golf is now finally addressing something that is becoming worse and worse and worse is that your golfers that are just taking, as we saw at the last tournament when Bryson took uh, 15 minutes, it seems, to birdie putt, <laughs> six-foot putt. It, it, it is ridiculous, and if I was one of the faster players, I would absolutely, you know, be in favor of this. Um, how do you think the President's Cup is going to shift? Talk about that uh, real quick before we get to tennis. Yeah, the President's Cup is December 11th and 15th. A lot of times they play in September, but this year they're putting in December. Tiger, the captain, eight people qualified. Kepka, Dustin Johnson, Justin Thomas, Shoffley, Kay Webster, and Bryce Jamblow. But uh, Tiger did not qualify for it. Gary went Spieth, Fowler, Patrick Wilson. And it's going to be interesting now that they have to add four other players. Who's Tiger going to add? And that's going to be discussed. I mean, you have four months of this discussion on who Tiger adds. And self, I don't think he does. I, I really think Tiger would, I, and I think he puts Phil on. I think, he, I think if Phil wants to play, I think Tiger's going to put Phil on, and then it'll be interesting how. But I don't think, people think Tiger's going to put himself on, but I think he'd rather, I, I think he's going to see the, the optics of him, of Pat Biden putting himself on. Uh, I think he'd rather be just the president, uh, the, uh, the captain, and, and not play if he didn't qualify. So we'll happens, but this is something for December 11th or 15th and some time away. But, uh, but that'll be just some discussion for three months of, of conversation. Ira, tell us what's going on in tennis. Well, this past week, I've been talking about Dmitry Medved. And I'm t- I saw him play DFO in Washington, and he is on a roll 
Uh, great. Now, Cincinnati is one of the major tournaments before the, it's the, oh, the last tournament before the U.S. Open, and it's one of the best tournaments in the United States. And uh, Nadal didn't play in it, but Federer and Djokovic did play in it. And Medved won it, he, and, and he won it by beating Djokovic in three sets in the semifinals. And he lost the first set, and the second set it was 3-3. He was struggling with his serve, his second serve especially. And he said, he goes, I was tired of hitting the second serve and having Djokovic pound it back. I mean, anyone who plays tennis doesn't want to hit second serves and have someone respond. So he just started hitting two first serves in a row. He ended up winning the third set, second set, and then winning the third over Djokovic, which is a Djokovic, which both players had cruised in the sense they had really hadn't had a tough match. And Djokovic won this tournament last year. But so Medved won, won that match, and then he beat David Goffin of Belgium in the finals uh, to set himself up looking good. I mean, if, if you're a betting person, uh, Medved looks like a good odd, uh, you know, to make it, at least make it to the finals of the U.S. Open, because he's been playing extremely well. Um, some other interesting things from the tournament, Andy Murray, who hasn't played in years. This is the first tournament going to have the big four, Murray, Nadal, Federer, pulled out. Murray, who hadn't played since hip surgery, lost 6-4, 6-4 in, the, in his first match. Uh, TFO won a, it was a good one. Yeah, Taylor Fritz lost in the first round. Another young, good American, Riley Eka, who I'm really looking forward to seeing it. He won the first round over 12 seeded Korik uh, to DeMar, of a really good player, young player. Uh, and another American, Isner, lost in the first round in that he hasn't been playing well. Uh, the player that everyone that we talked about, Tsitsipas, who is sixth in the world, he lost again in his first match to a seeded player. And Sasha Zarev, who has been this Russian player that everyone's talking about, uh, he lost uh, in the I mean, German player. He lost. Uh, uh, in the second round. Uh, the other big story of the tournament was Kyrgyz. And we talked about this the last time, uh, about how he won in Washington, and this was a big tournament, a lot of professionalism, but that he had also had this history of being just the worst person and the, ba- the, bad, the bad person, bad boy in tennis. Uh, but he was horrendous. If Google Kyrgyz and Karen Karachev of this match, uh, he was unbelievable. I could not believe he was only fined $113,000. Now, only 113. I mean, it was, I think, the most ever fined in a match. But he was ball abuse, five unsportsmanlike conduct penalties, leaving the court without permission, audible set abuse and verbal abuse. He, the, he was given a time violation, and then he just started, he requested a, a bathroom break, which was, and then he <laughs> left the court anyway. He took two rackets, and he announced going, going, why would he be taking two rackets to go to the bathroom? And then he just broke the rackets against the wall, break, smashed them in pieces, and then came back with both broken rackets, and he was just getting penalty after penalty. It was unbelievable the fact that he wasn't defaulted from the match, and the, I just can't believe tennis can let this behavior. And he would sit in his chair and start start yelling at the umpire, but, but not yelling at the umpire because he wasn't addressing him. He was just saying, he, you're the, he's the worst umpire. He was talking to fans, like screaming to the fans about how bad the umpire is, but not turning and saying, you're bad. He was screaming at the fans, yelling at this umpire. At just one of the worst performances I've seen. We talked about him throwing chairs on the court, dumping water all over the court. I mean, at some point, tennis is not going to let this guy keep playing. And I'm, I'm afraid of the U.S. Open when the stage is so great uh, that he's going to just, I mean, if there's no control on him, who knows what is going to happen at the U.S. Open. <laughs> I can't wait to see because he's definitely um, either the bad boy of tennis. And it's kind of enjoyable to hear his uh, antics every week that you catch us up on. Uh, what's going on with the ladies? Well, Madison Keys. Uh, had a big win. She's 16 seed from America. She beat uh, a Russian Kineskova, and uh, Keys actually beat uh, Sofia Kedin, a nice, a very uh, uh, good young player, 20 years old of uh, uh, America. Who, uh, the Americans have good shots at the U.S. Open. As they, uh, a few years ago, Keys played Stevens in the final. Uh, Sloane Stevens. Uh, Stevens lost 6-1, 6-2 in her match. Uh, then she fired her coach of three months. <laughs> it's funny. Even players, when they lose, <laughs> then then they get to fire their coach. Uh, but uh, it'll be it'll be interesting to see that Osaka, who uh, was who won the U.S. Open last year, uh, had a knee injury, and I don't know if she'll be able to play for in the U.S. Open. She was number in the world, but uh, that'll the, the women's and we have Serena in this tournament, and Serena's gonna. This is I mean a big draw play on every week for every day every match will be uh, major as she tries to tie uh, Margaret Court's Grand Slam record. Uh, just this is like I mean the same record that Tiger's trying to do against Jack the all-time uh, win. She has 23, Court has 24, and she's trying to tie the all-time Grand Slam win. So this will be the U.S. in two weeks. 7:43. You're listening to Iron Sports. This is the True Oldies Channel. I'm Mike Balsamo and Ira. 
Are you ready for some football? Monday Night Football is back tonight. San Francisco taking on Denver. This is an interesting game just because I want to see in what capacity Jimmy Garoppolo um, plays after missing basically all of last season with a torn ACL. But before that, um, some sad news. We lost, lost Nick Bonaconti. Um, you know, we talked about that uh, last week, and now we lost another legend uh, this week. Well, Jack Whitaker died, and even I, growing up, I just saw the end of his career. He was 95 years old, uh, but he broadcast his, he's a Hall of Fame, one of the greatest broadcasters of all time, but he broadcast the first Super Bowl, and he also broadcast all Secretariat's races. And what's interesting, in 66, he was banned for the Masters for broadcasting it from 66 to 72 for actually for this horrendous sin of referring to the gallery as a mob. <laughs> and for six <laughs> years, he was banned from broadcasting the Masters. But uh, just, I, I love, I remember him from golf all the time, and uh, watching him, I, of course, didn't see the first Super Bowl. But uh, he was a great, tremendous, uh, just how he told the story, uh, one of those just all-time greats. And uh, if you ever hear the, the call of Secretariat, it's great to hear him call the race. Ira, you know it's a bad thing? When the reports that come out, the, you know, the headlines for the day are that your player showed up to practice – and didn't cause any scenes. And that's the first we've heard about uh, Antonio Brown doing that all season. But, he did, but you know what's interesting is he didn't cause a scene for the game, but then he, he went to one practice, and then he decided that this helmet issue that he has, we talked about last week, that 2,800 players have to play with the helmets, and there's 36 helmets they can choose from. But Antonio Brown doesn't like the helmet that he has to play with, even though he's choice of all the helmets, from even the same company. And they could custom make it. And there's all the things, but he'd rather play with the helmet that he played with when he was 10 years ago. And saying it's not safe. And with all the, and the Players Association, this is why I didn't mention last week enough, Players Association and the NFL have both to this. This is an agreement between both the Players Association and the NFL. This is for player safety. We cannot have players playing with old helmets. Otherwise, you're going to have people wearing, like, leather helmets that they had back in the 1920s. I mean, there's, they can have rules on helmet safety, and they don't want to – and he's now – so he went back to one practice, and then he, now he doesn't want to practice with the helmet anymore, and he's sitting out practice. And it was interesting. I love Drew Rose his agent. So the, the report came out that he had left camp and, and Rosenhouse goes, oh, no, no, he didn't leave in camp. He is still in the Napa Valley. <laughs> How not sure? I guess the definition of it is if, he, if he's still in the Napa Valley, but he's not at practice, that's okay. Because I mean, could you imagine not going to work one day? Like, well, I didn't go to work, but I stayed in the same city. I'm in the vicinity. I was still there. <laughs> I mean, this defense. I mean, here's Brown who signed a fifty-four million dollar deal with the Raiders, thirty million guaranteed. And with the Steelers, he had a three-year, thirty-eight million dollar. None of that guaranteed. So the Raiders traded for him, gave him all the money, and now he still doesn't play. And in his first press conference, he said, "I'm going to be the leader. I'm going to be someone who's going to motivate. Everyone should follow me." If everybody followed Antonio Brown, they would have nobody at practice because he's only practiced one, I mean, like one and a half practices this entire time. And uh, it's just, it's just a mess with it. And finally, finally, GM Mike Mayock said. Either Brown has to decide whether he's going to be all in or all out. Now, John Gruden hasn't said anything about it, about it at all. And the, the Derek Carr, and of course, the other players haven't made a comment. But finally, the general managers are making a comment. Like, either you're going to play or not play. The NFL was ruled. The, the arbitrators have ruled. Everybody's ruled. You've got to wear this helmet. You've got to play, pick, choose a helmet and play with a helmet and, and just show up at practice. And the Steelers are like, thank goodness he's not with us. Uh, I, I had some friends that were uh, at the Pittsburgh Steelers training camp, and they were talking to the offensive linemen for the Steelers, and they were uh, furious at, at Brown and, and Bell, actually. They were like, they could not stand the antics. So they never practiced, and they were so glad they're gone. So it was interesting how the Raiders players feel about Brown. But as a Steelers fan, uh, I was – and if you watch the Steelers against the Chiefs, James Washington, who was their number two round draft pick last year, mm-hmm. looked fantastic in that game, four catches, 80 yards. Uh, could be that uh, you know the Steelers don't miss a beat. Uh, it's hard to say that without Antonio Brown there. But if Washington, if Juju steps up, and then also Washington plays well, uh, there it's like going to be addition from subtraction probably. Absolutely. I don't think there's anybody happier this offseason than Mike Tomlin and the Steelers um, ownership in front office just to not be dealing with not only Le'Veon Bell, but the craziness happening with Antonio Brown. Ira, a story came out, I think it was it was two days ago, and I really don't know what to make of this, but Jay-Z and his company Roth Nation have a partnership now with the NFL. Well, he's partnering with the NFL to be a live music strategist and also run an Inspire Change initiative, which is the NFL's initiative that was 
spirit was started when Colin Kaepernick started uh, kneeling instead of standing for the national anthem about funding uh, 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 things in inner cities and other programs that the NFL has really been at the forefront always. They've, uh, the NFL has always been great with volunteer organizations, but even stepped it up even more. And now they're partnering with Jay-Z in doing this. And that, But you could see in the media players like Eric Reed who still kneel and Kenny Stills who still kneel, they're making this about Colin Kaepernick and they're mad at Jay-Z because they're saying, look, this isn't helping Colin Kaepernick. It should be something that he should be back in the NFL. And this has been a big dispute in terms of, of and, and then Jay-Z was right and said, look, I'm not talking about Colin Kaepernick. I mean, that time I'm here involved and going to try to help in communities and be involved in that, in that, what I'm trying to do. And Kaepernick wants to play, he can try to play. And I, that's where the battle is. And I, I also feel like this is a way that Jay-Z is, as being a billionaire, is trying to become, I wouldn't be surprised in the next five years, to have an owner in the NFL and be the first African-American owner in the NFL. Because it's sort of the NFL likes to partner with people before they make them an owner. A lot of their owners now in the past years have been minority owners, not minority being, have a smaller share ownership of uh, different teams, and then they become majority owners uh, at another team, uh, you are by become total 100%. So that seems to be a trend in terms of working with it. And I think they're trying to work with Jay-Z in doing this. And uh, and I would not be surprised if Jay-Z becomes the first African-American owner of an NFL team in about five years. Ira, you know, up until this Antonio Brown thing this year, there really hasn't been a player in this league that's been more of an enigma, more of a wild card, and just more of a, a, a head case, for lack of a better word, than Josh Gordon. All the talent in the world, and you just never know if he's even going to be on the field, uh, you know, for these games, for the teams he's on. He's been reinstated by the league. What do you make of this? Well, Gordon is 6'3", 225, uh, one of the fastest players in the league, and also one of the tallest wide receivers in the league. Uh, 2013 for the Browns, he played 14 games, only 14 games. He had 87 catches for 1,700 yards, which would lead most Crazy. years in, in yardage, and averaged at 19 yards. Last year, he had a, and then he ended, that was 2013. In 14, 15, 16, and 17, he played a total of 11 games. I tried to come up with how many times he's been suspended. I couldn't even figure it out. It's, it's so much. It is now, he's not on the third or fourth, fifth. I mean, it is the Steve Howe, sixth or seventh chance of being suspended, you, whether he has, was suspended or not suspended. He just wasn't playing. The Patriots traded from last year. He played well for them. In 11 games, he had 40 receptions for 720 yards. He had 18 yards of reception, was one of the top leaders of yards for reception in the league, having played for four years. However, he then said, I'm having a relapse, and then stopped playing with the team at the end of the year, so they didn't use him for their Super Bowl win. But it was interesting that the, the Patriots reassigned him or offered him the contract, but he was on the suspended list. So even though he was suspended, the Patriots would then keep his rights uh, where he was going to get three million, a contract for $3 million. Well, the NFL surprisingly reinstated him, and now he's back with the Patriots. Uh, it shows – I think the Patriots feel like they can work with anybody. Uh, Bill back from Bill Belichick when he was at the Giants with Lawrence Taylor. And being able to have – Lawrence Taylor had a lot of alcohol problems and issues, but was still went down as the greatest defensive player of all time. And Belichick was his defensive – he was coached the defense under Bill Parcells. And so I feel like Belichick is going to work with Gordon and realizing this is an, an area of need for the Patriots. They, they have Tom Brady, the best quarterback of all time, and they have Julian Edelman. They're losing Gronk, and they feel that Gordon can be a key component. If Gordon can catch 80, 90 passes for 1,700 yards, Edelman does the same thing. They're going to, they're going to win 12, 13 games and go to the Super Bowl again. So this is a, this is a, and they're not paying him that much. $3 million is nothing. So it's a, it's a backup uh, money, really. Uh, so it's a, it's a risk-reward uh, benefit to the Patriots and very, very uh, good move, I feel, for the Patriots. It, absolutely. And, you know, you can't forget about Ankeel Harry, the, um, the wide receiver they just drafted. Another big body can get down the field quickly. So, you, you know, if you have Josh Gordon and Ankeel Harry well, combined with Edelman coming in the slot and going underneath – this could be another massive year for Tom Brady. Um, keeping in the AFC, some sad news out of New York Jets camp. Avery Williamson, guy, is just a stud. He seems to be involved in every play for the Jets. Going to miss the entire season. Um, this is something that's been very polarizing this week, Ira. Maybe it's because people want less preseason games, but also because their coach, Adam Gase, is taking this on himself. So what's your take on this? Well, Adam Gase 
came out and said, I played him too many series. That's where he tore his ACL. He's out for the year. So the Jets lost their best defensive player because he's playing in a meaningless preseason game. Uh, and the Bears, but if you're starting to look how the teams, I mean, I follow the Steelers, of course, and I know every, all the players, but if you see these teams, they are playing nobody. The Bears did not play any of their starters and won't play any of their starters the rest of the preseason. And you're seeing teams have controlled scrimmages uh, where, they're, where they actually control what's happening. But uh, Williamson got hurt on a play where his own player what, on the Jets team is down. You have players that are fighting. What happens in these preseason games is you have a lot of players that are, that are not going to make the NFL, and they're just doing anything to make an impression, and they're diving all over the place. And then you have your superstar players that you're paying millions of dollars as you count everything. So it's a bad mix of having these players involved in these games, and, the, and, 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 and Matt Nagy of, uh, of the Bears are like, I'm not playing any of my, my good players. I do not want any injuries. And that's when you, these teams are looking at. You don't say, well, how well did someone play in preseason? Nobody cares how well they played in preseason except maybe the quarterback. What their concern is, are they healthy? Did you get through preseason without any injuries? And now the Jets have lost one of the, the star player on defense, and, uh, and Gaze was quite honest coming out and saying, look, I should have never had him in the game. Ira, this is the time of year where everyone's – if you're watching these games and you're in the mindset that we are, it's for fantasy purposes. You want to see what some sneaky picks might be later in your draft, and you think you might have one with the Rams. I don't think Todd Gurley is going to play much this year. I, he, his arthritic knee uh, issue, and uh, Daryl Henderson played for Memphis. And I watched some Memphis games last year. I thought it was tremendous. Uh, he had 16 carries on six yards, which was not impressive, but he had six catches for 38 yards. And he becomes the workhorse back for the Rams in that offense that they have. I mean, you're looking at one of the best running backs. I mean, he is someone who I could – if you draft Gurley, you have to draft Henderson – uh, to uh, as, as you know, to uh, you have to have him on the same team in case Gurley doesn't play. But I really like how Henderson played. I watched part of that game, and I just liked how he caught. Though he's the type of guy if you have a PPR lead, points per reception league, uh, you should really have him on your team because if he's getting six carries on a, a, a six catches for 38 yards, he's someone who easily can get 10 catches uh, for a game when he plays an entire game and maybe rushes someone who rushes for 100 yards and catches passes for 100 yards. Ira, um, quickly, your Steelers were, you know, tasked with trying to hold back the top-scoring offense in the NFL last year in Patrick Mahomes. Well, I was at the game last year when the Chiefs just totally blew out. Nobody knew how good the Chiefs were. It was, I think, the mm-hmm. first or second game of the season. Nobody knew how good the Chiefs were, and uh, everyone thought the Steelers were a little improved on defense, and Mahomes, I think, scored six straight touchdowns in a row on them. Uh, just totally destroyed the Steelers. Uh, this year, they only played two series. He only got three points, uh, made a couple first downs. Uh, the Steelers' defense has improved. Uh, they brought, as I've said again and again, their linebackers are really, really, really good. Uh, Devin Bush is going to be the rookie of the year. Uh, Bud Dupree, uh, who they drafted early two years ago, is now becoming this monster defensive linebacker, and uh, he played great. And T.J. Watt, and then Mark Barron, who they signed from the Rams, who was started the, the Super Bowl for the Rams, he's playing at linebacker. So they, they, they beat the Chiefs 17-7. The scores don't matter, but they look good. When their starters were in the game, they looked really good. Uh, so this is going to be the M.O. of the Steelers this year. I really like the fact that their defense could be improved, and this is a team that has not had a good defense in the last number of years. Finally, they might have a good defense. Ira, someone to keep your eye on since we've been talking about fantasy is definitely Delaney Walker. Um, he's going to be back for the Titans this year. This guy's been very quietly a top five tight end. You know, every year he's been healthy and he's going to be back. And that's Mariota's safety valve. If Delaney Walker stays healthy, is there any, any surprise he might catch 100 passes? I mean, it's he, crazy. Uh, averaged like 70 passes for five years, and people forget about him because he got hurt, got hurt in the first game. But everyone saw how the Titans like to run the ball, run the ball, but any team that runs the ball likes to use play action and use, use the tight end, and he is perfect for their offense and how they run with Mariota. And if you're drafting a tight end in fantasy, if he can stay healthy this year, wow. I mean, he is definitely one of the top maybe three or four tight ends in the league. I don't play in a league that has a tight end. My main league is in a tight end league. So, But still, even if you're playing in a normal league, in a PPR league, he'd be someone you want to draft if he's going to catch so many passes. You know, they're really not letting anything out from Miami Dolphins camp. Um, you know, we, well, I get to hear it all day um, living in South Florida. I don't know what's going to happen. Who's going to start game one? I have my opinions on who it should be, but it's you know going to be probably coming down to the last minute on who they're going to put in, Rosen or um, Fitzpatrick. They really aren't letting out who is Brian Flores is running it like the Bill Belichick style. I mean, Belichick really hasn't had that decision in all the years Flores was there. Uh, he never really had a quarterback debate whether 
Not since, since Drew Bledsoe. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. Since that, since that move was made, that's the one thing. You know, Belichick has had to answer a lot of questions over the years. The question of who Rack is has never come up for the last like <laughs> decade and a half. Uh, but, but clearly, it's 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 going to be. Rosen was ten for eighteen for one hundred two yards. Uh, they seem to be neck and neck between Ryan Fitzpatrick, and it, and the point is. Do the Dolphins think they're going to win some games with Fitzpatrick, who might get put to give them the better benefit to win games, or they want to see what they have with Josh Rosen? Could he be the quarterback of the future? Uh, maybe not. Or at least play well enough they could trade him. Uh, they draft a two in next year, or Herbert, or some of the good college outs. So I, I'm not sure what they're going to do. I, I, I almost think they're going to play Fitzpatrick uh, because they just want to get some – they want to get – people to win early in the season they win a few games to get some positive energy and positive vibe with the team so i would bet if i had to bet anything probably 51 percent, 49 percent fitzpatrick you know ira if i wasn't brian flores in his first stint as an nfl head coach if i was anyone even close to established in this league i'm starting rosen i, I got to find out what i've got otherwise why did we do this but the fact that he is a rookie head coach He's got to win games. So this is why I think he's got one of the toughest decisions in all of football on how he's going to present his team. Quick, let's touch on two more rookie quarterbacks before we move on um, from the NFL. We've got uh, time away from us tonight. It's 8 o'clock on the button. We'll go a little over here on Iron Sports on the True Oldies channel. Ira, Kyler Murray just looked bad against the Raiders. And the Raiders, in my opinion, that defense is not very good. They made they made it look like they knew everything he was doing and they took away what should be his strengths. I'm a little worried right now if I'm an Arizona Cardinal fan. Well, it's preseason and he's going to have tough games. He's three for eight for 12 yards. And if you just watch TV and the game was on national television, and if you just watched it, you're like, I don't know if he's going to be good. He, he, He's small. I, 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 you don't want to say that, but he does not look like a big quarterback. I mean, Lamar Jackson for the Ravens looks taller, and he, he just looks very small, and, and it seems like he's going to have trouble running the ball. I just don't know how. He's not going to be able to run the ball a lot, and I think he's going to have trouble with getting it, – he's, he's very, very fast, and he was being successful in college. I'm just having doubts whether, whether this is going to work. But Cliff Kinsbury uh, uh, thinks he has the plan in place for the, for the Cardinals, with, uh, uh, and uh, they have Christian Kirk at wide receiver in life. It's Joe at wide receiver. It's hard to judge. I hate judging on these preseason games, but he did not look good in that one game. Ira, I'm a Giants fan. So, I, you know, I always take my team with a grain of salt. I think people are saying, I think people are starting to hype Daniel Jones. And I do like that in a sense. I will say this. He looks poised. He looks like he belongs there in a sense. Um, granted, playing against backups, but you can't be mad if you're a Giants fan about what you've seen so far. Right. Now, I think this is, the, of all the people, of anything in the preseason, I think Haskins for Washington and Jones for the Giants, the two rookies from Ohio State and Jones is from Duke, they both have looked they, like they can be NFL quarterbacks. Now, whether they're going to be great NFL quarterbacks or whatever, but, but considering that, that the pressure was more on Jones because Gettleman, people said he's not a first-round pick, and Gettleman, the general manager, picked him so early in front of Haskins, and everyone criticized him for it. But, boy, Jones has looked great. You have to be as objective observer say he looks not great. looks like, a, like he's not, not going to be a bust. So the point is then how much pressure does he put on Eli to be – I, I think, still think Eli starts the season. I think they're going to run with Eli until they're out of the playoffs. If, Jones, if they're out of it, then they'll put Jones in. That's, I think, exactly how they're playing. I don't think there's going to be a situation where after one or two games Eli has a bad game, they're going to put Jones in. I think it's going to be a situation where when, when the Giants have been eliminated from playoffs, when they don't have a chance, then they're going to put Jones in. I mean, that could be the eighth or ninth game of the season. It could be the last three games. But they're not going to pull Eli in the first two or three games. I agree wholeheartedly that that's, that's going to be the scenario. And hopefully the Giants win 11 games with Eli under center. It, you know, not that um, I predict that'll happen, but I think that's what, you know, the Giants, they're a team that wants to win. And I don't think they're going to throw it away starting Daniel Jones before it's absolutely necessary for his development. We talked about Monday Night Football, the first game tonight, but we're still a few weeks away from actual NFL action. But NBA football is much closer, Ira. Quickly, uh, fill us in on what we need to know. Um, yeah, just to go real fast. Uh, Oklahoma just named Jalen Hurts as their starter uh, for the Big 12. I think Oklahoma and Texas are going to come down to those two teams. The ACC totally Clemson. I 
I can't ever remember in my lifetime a team so dominant in a conference. I mean, they, they, if you look at the top 20, I think Syracuse came out at like 24. There's not another ACC team in the top 20. It's, it's embarrassing. And uh, Clemson is going to be a double-digit. I mean, there could be a, could be a 20-point favorite almost in every game they play. Uh, Bama has the same situation. They, have, they got advantage where they're playing South Carolina as their, what, as their, when they play the other, conference, other division. They play Duke without a, a – Duke's going to be terrible as a non-conference game. They play LSU at home. Uh, they play Act Texas a and is going to roll. And then Georgia, Georgia looks great also. I mean, Georgia, but Florida is improved. Now, Georgia's going to have that problem because Florida is very good this year. And that first game, Miami-Florida, is going to be very uh, – is going to be indicative of what kind of team Florida has. And they could upset uh, Georgia. But, and L, but LSU and A&M are, are very good against Bama and Auburn. So Bama doesn't have, quote, the – nobody has this schedule. They have the easiest schedule you can imagine. Uh, and then in the Big Ten uh, – Ohio State, they just named Justin Field from Georgia. Ryan Day's first year. Everyone says, oh, Ohio's great. Ryan Day, it's going to be awesome. I'm not sure. I mean, this is the year that Harbaugh, they have a new offensive coordinator, Josh Gaddis. Shea Patterson's back at quarterback. And this could be the year Michigan finally beats Ohio State. And then there's always Penn State and Michigan State and Wisconsin uh, hanging around and, and trying to get in for the Big Ten. Uh, Notre Dame might not. Notre Dame's problem this year is not. They might be better than they were last year when they made the playoffs. They could be a better team, but they play Georgia, who is really, really good, and they play Michigan, who is really, really good. So Notre Dame might have two losses, and that's going to be uh, be a problem for them to get in the playoff. But if they could win those games, boy, that would set them up perfectly. Uh, the Pac-12, the last number of years, has not got any teams in the playoffs. Uh, people have just not felt like they've been. At the highest quality, and they haven't. See, it seems like you, <laughs> they haven't. No, it's, it's deservingly <laughs> so. But this year, everybody likes Oregon. They have Justin Herbert, who picking the, in the draft next year. They have 19 starters back for Oregon. Washington has another Georgia transfer, uh, uh, Jacob Eason, uh, Chris Peterson, a coach, and then uh, Utah has uh, Kyle Whittington, a coach, Tyler Huntley, a core QB. They're a good team. Washington State. Every year with Mike Leach, they're going to be interested. And Stanford uh, was, had a down year last year, but would be back, uh, would, could be back again. And I think, that, I think the Pac-12, this could be the year that you're going to get, well, the Pac-12 is going to get a team into the, uh, into the, into the Final Four. But uh, it, it's, it's Clemson and Bama, but, and whether Georgia can make any noise. And, and it would be interesting if Bama and Clemson are in it, what the other two teams are in it. And is this year, uh, the, if, if uh, the Pac-12 gets a team in, uh, who, who is left out? Remember, there's five major conferences and only four spots, plus you have Notre Dame. And if you take two teams from a conference, then other teams get left into the playoff. So, but I'm, I'm pumped college football. I can't wait. I mean, next Saturday, Miami, Miami and Florida. I cannot wait for that game. Yeah, so Ira, before we wrap it up, what are you doing this week? Uh, Saturday, Miami, Florida. I possibly could go to the Yankees-Dodgers game on Friday night and try to hit Miami, Florida on Saturday. I just think it's going to be too hard. But I definitely want to see Miami and Florida on Saturday. We are out of time. Ira, thank you so much for spending some time with us all the way from Las Vegas. On behalf of him, I'm Mike. Let's talk next Monday night, Ira on Sports.